Advisory services offered through Prime Capital Investment Advisors, LLC, PCIA, a federally registered investment advisor, Overland Park, Kansas. The following or preceding commentaries and responses are the opinions of Jason Noble, Andy Merchant, and their guests, and are not necessarily the opinions of PCIA, are for informational and educational purposes only, and are not and should not be considered investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Welcome to 20 Minutes of Clarity, the podcast that focuses on strategies and ideas to answer the wealth questions you have, hosted by Prime Capital Wealth Advisors Jason Noble and Andy Merchant. As wealth advisors, they've spent years navigating the complex world of finance and wealth management for their clients. Each week, they share practical tips and insights to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether you're looking to start a business, build your investment portfolio, or simply improve your personal finances, the next 20 minutes promises to be informative, engaging, and most importantly, actionable. 20 Minutes of Clarity starts now. Welcome to 20 Minutes of Clarity, your go-to podcast for financial insights and advice. I'm your host, Jason Noble, and joining me today is Andy Merchant here at a financial planner at Prime Capital Investment Advisors. We're going to go into a deeper conversation on asset location, but also what do you put in these different types of asset classes? Such an important conversation. For To learn more about what we're talking about, go to www.clearpitcherfinancial.com. Check out our other videos. Scroll down, enter your information, and one of our specialists will reach out. So let me dive right into the three different types of investment location. It's just like in real estate, right, Andy? It's always going to be about location, location, location. So in threes, in the spirit of threes, this is going right into it. So what we have in the very beginning is taxable accounts. So when you think about taxable accounts, think of like joint brokerage accounts or individual accounts, right? Trust accounts. But these are where you put money in to those accounts. You've already paid taxes on it and you then have that money working in this new environment. There would be more to on that, like what kind of investment should go in there? I'm going to turn that over to Andy when that time comes. The second type is tax deferred accounts. So think of like traditional 401ks or 403bs, 457s, rollover IRAs, traditional IRAs. When you put money in, you get a tax deduction, right? It, 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 it tax exempt. Like what I mean by that is it's, a, it's really a deduction, but it shows that you didn't pay taxes on it, right? Now, there are some caveats there. If you made too much money, then you're not working with an advisor that knows what they're talking about. There may be things that you may be needing to do there, but the money grows tax deferred. And then when you take the money out, that's when you pay the taxes. Okay. That's what that account would be. And then tax exempt accounts. I want you to think like Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, Roth 403bs. Let's just call it the Roth. If you have a Roth in front of it, that's what we're talking about on tax exempt accounts. So those are the three types of a different asset locations that you could be looking at. Now we're going to get into what kind of investment approaches and strategies should you be considering based off the asset location. So I'm going to kick over with my favorite one over to you, Andy, which is the taxable accounts. Think of joint and uh, trust accounts. What type of investments typically would be better suited to go into those type of accounts? Well, when you're when you're thinking about taking your hard-earned money and allocating it into one of these buckets because it's super important to make sure that you're allocating into the appropriate bucket for the for the type of investment. And common ones, right, Jason, that we're using when we build these are going to be, um, you know, let's just say we're going to build out an individual stock portfolio, right? 
right? So we usually, when we're using investments, we may use mutual funds in some cases that are out there. These are common ones, um, exchange traded funds, and then, um, and then individual stocks. Now, the benefit of using an individual stock portfolio inside of a taxable account, as we're, as we're noting it here, is because you can then utilize some tax loss harvesting strategy because the difference between a basket of individual stocks that you can control the, the buying and selling of is that there will be sometimes inside of those winners and losers, and you're able to offset the losers or the winners proceeds with the losers or just uh, realize the loss. So being a little bit more aware of how you use that is number one. So we use it for tax loss planning for our clients that are a little bit more tax sensitive, right? The other thing that we use those accounts for um, is we try to generate some yield, uh, you know, how much money and income is going to be producing off the portfolio uh, for our clients that are retired, because it is a more tax efficient um, distribution on the yield. You know, we got to know how the dividend is categorized, of course, for our tax uh, experts out there can always weigh in. But um, but, you know, income first. Right. So if you know you're going to have to need an X amount of do dollars coming to you on a monthly or annual basis, we can solve that in a taxable bucket and you're going to be able to get it at a lower tax bracket uh, than potentially you would if you if you earn that same income inside of a tax deferred. So that's that's the two main ones I'm using it for um, when it's coming to public. Um, you know, the other thing is we don't really use a lot of, uh, you know, some will use taxable accounts for protection um, buckets. You know, it's less common because you are taking an after tax account that you've already paid taxes on. Um, and then you're, you're turning around and put it into some strategies that may not give you as much benefit. So we don't really use it a lot for pr protection bucket. Um, in, my, in my practice and what we do, we kind of want to make sure we're paying attention, right, Jason? And then the third one, if we're going to tie it into our PPP, um, you know, the private buckets, these the ones that are going to give you uh, strategies that are going to um, give you immediate tax benefits. Uh, real estate's a very common one. Um, if it's the right fund and set up right, we'd rather use that account. Uh, for that kind of bucket, because then if you're in the right category, you can offset some of that passive income. So a lot of tax strategy goes into what we fund. But if you think about it, PPP, that's my recap, tax loss harvesting, after-tax money, yield for retirement, or we got to get more strategic with the other two buckets. What do you got to add for us there, Jason? Yeah, what I would add to the taxable account is, like you said, individual stocks, and we could do tax loss harvesting approaches, even with short-term capital gains or losses. But holding it over one year is definitely where you start seeing uh, even more economic benefit. So then equity index, like mutual funds or, or ETFs, are, are that come into play? You have lower expense ratios and you, ha you don't have that portfolio turnover ratio that you got to contend with, right? And what I mean by portfolio turnover ratio, not to get like geeky, but like if I go into an active mutual fund where the that mutual fund uh, is is buying and trading securities all the way through, you're going to find out about this when you do your taxes because you're going to have those those capital gains pass through to you. And that could be rather significant. Yeah. Right. Especially, especially if how long you've held the investments and you're going, well, wait a second, I didn't sell the mutual fund. No, that mutual fund manager was buying and, and selling and your your advisor. And I use that term lightly in this case, did not factor this in and all those taxes are being passed through to you. It's it, it, it's a very frustrating experience for those who are listening right now that have gone through that. My heart goes out to you. 
for those that are listening right now and you haven't had this happen to you, this is why it's important to have an, a, a conversation with a qualified financial advisor is to avoid these potential pitfalls that could come down the road. Right. Well, I love how you say that, Jason. Right. I mean, I, I think that's the biggest call to action we could probably do on this particular conversation is, you know, it's easy for us to take a look at our uh, statement and understand where those those areas that are less optimal mm -hmm. are. Right. I mean, again, these are designed to be actionable podcasts. You know, we are here. We you and I are doing this at during our day because we want to help people better understand their opportunity, see where it is that's fit not tell you why your other advisor is good, bad, or indifferent. They may just be using what's available in their tool belt, right? But if you want a second opinion from somebody, that's where you submit something to us, reach out to us, because that category that Jason just mentioned is so important because, right, Jason, what's never on a taxable statement is the after-tax return, right? And if you did what Jason just mentioned and you have a basket of after-tax monies invested in mutual funds, for example, that have traded and were active because that's the design of a mutual fund. At the end of the year, you could have actually lost money in your overall portfolio and pay taxes, right? And your after net tax return could be way down there. And then you got to pay fees and everything else on it. You can understand why you lose a lot of traction. And that's why ETFs and individual stocks are so important. So I love that you brought that point up, Jason, because I think it's so uh, it's not very transparent for many people that are listening um, when they're looking at their statements, they're not going to understand how a mutual fund's net tax benefit is or isn't. Well, yeah, so this is like, well, you know, I had to ha have this tough conversation with one of my clients where their prior advisor was using active mutual funds inside of a taxable account. They sent me their tax returns. And within a matter of moments, I was able to see that they paid $78,000 in taxes in the, in the prior year's tax return because of the pass-through taxes. Now, off the statement that they provided, now the actual broker statement, I'm not talking about their 1040. I'm talking about their statement. They were flat for the year. They had very little returns, but then they had a $78,000 tax drag on that portion of the portfolio. I mean, they were not too happy that I had to provide this information off their prior advisor. Now that advisor was a captive advisor, so they could only use investments that were pre-approved by their firm. And, they, and that firm doesn't look at this because it's too much work. I don't, I don't buy that for a moment. It's doing the, do the right thing for the right reasons, everything else falls into place, right? Let's get into those active mutual funds. You could, you're gonna be like, Someone right now is listening like, Jason, you, I got active mutual funds. What should I, where should I put those if I have a choice? And immediately the answer is going to be into like a qualified account. Think of like your traditional IRA, your Roth IRA, both of them. I'm okay with both of them because you're not going to have to deal with the, that, that pass-through taxes because it's in qualified assets. You have that protection. So say la vie, who cares, right? Go ahead and get it. Yeah. What I'm looking at an active mutual fund versus an index is what are their risk and return characteristics net after their expense ratio, right? That yeah. comes into play. What are you paying? And if you're listening right now and going expense ratio, why is he throwing out another term? Like Google, go ahead and Google expense ratio and see what kind of drag that has on your portfolio over time. So, I better see some value from that active manager to go into that 
And I'm also going to look at the tenure of that active manager. Yep. Right? Yep. You'd be shocked. You you say, oh, look at this fund. It's been done. It's been doing amazing over the last 10 years. And then you go in there and you look that for the last 18 months, it was a sub-advisor that came in as a, as the senior manager went and retired. And you're going like, where can you find all this information? Well, this is where you work with a qualified professional to help you with that. Go to clearpicturefinancial.com, scroll down, enter in your information to schedule that consultation. But Andy, what other things would you say you also consider going into qualified? I'm talking like the, the pre-tax, the 401ks, the rollover IRAs, the traditional IRAs, not the tax exam, but going into that tax deferred. Well, when you think about really breaking down the tax deferred, and I know we're kind of picking on the active managers out there, which, you know, they all every one of these investments have their time and place. Mm-hmm. But you made a really good point there, too, Jason. Ex, you know, the expense ratio. Well, I'm always usually when I'm helping clients, right, and using our resources that we have available, we have a way to go in there and review all of their 401k holdings or their deferred account holdings, right, that are employee sponsored. And why am I using that specifically is because Generally, there's a lower cost structure inside of those employer-sponsored accounts because of either the coverage by the firm as part of the benefit or just the, fear, the, the volume of which they've purchased inside of these things. So if you're trying to, and what I tell my clients is, if we're going to own an active management component, let's do it inside of your, your employee benefit plan, right? Which is use 401ks because everybody's familiar, even though we know there's multiple. Why? Two reasons. One, we got a lower expense ratio to buy an active manager that are usually set it and forget it. We as advisors have limited options to get into those accounts because you have a menu. Um, you don't can't go outside and buy whatever you want. You have to buy off the menu. Um, so that's an important component of it. But then the, the other side of it all is that you're usually putting in new money. So just imagine the compound effect of, of market movement with an active manager and money always feeding the, the, the account. So I think it's really important. That's where you, you focus on your active, right? I think then if you have your IRAs, your advisor supported ones, the ones that we work with a lot too, Jason, those are when you get a little bit more strategic. Um, you know, you might use some more active or more active type passive investments, right? A little bit more uh, at prime, we use satellite portfolios, right? So make your core, your 401k, and then we use the satellite, the ones that are either focused on growth in the United States or international growth or yield focus if we're trying to prepare someone for retirement. So I think you get really kind of, cute in the IRA space within your IRA, if we would say so, you'd be very core inside your 401ks with your active managers at a lower expense. Yeah, this is where I'll, I'll, I'll build on that. When I'm using like a tactical approach that's a little more active in trading, I'm going to want to do that in that tax deferred account or the tax exempt Roth, right? Because I'm not caring about the holding time and periods like I would in my uh, in, in the taxable accounts. Um, but also... When I'm looking at private investments, I do like to have my more aggressive private investments go into the tax deferred accounts. Like I'm looking at venture capital, private equity, hedge funds, mostly the the first two things that I mentioned going into those types of accounts. Because quite frankly, I don't want to put that in a taxable account and deal with the tax drag that that could occur. I'd rather have that in a tax deferred or tax exempt account, right? I think they fit really well in the tax exempt if you have them because, you know, on that point, I agree with you. And I'm just adding that point in is that if you have a good private that's going to 
have a strong realized gain in the future, you may just be kicking that tax can down. Uh, but if you're expecting to maybe be in a lower tax bracket at retirement, it's great to go ahead and have those huge buildups now. But I love where you're going with it. But yes. I, okay. Yeah. So this is where the conversation gets fun for those who are paying attention. Okay. What Andy was is going into is in the, if you have, a, 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 let's say, a venture capital or private equity that has really good uh, expectations for multiples, right? And we're looking at nice growth off of it over, let's say, a seven to a 10 year holding period. If you have a Roth IRA that could support that investment and it builds into the overall strategy, see, it has to do both. It can't just do some of it. It has to do it all. But it does that. Then we start looking right at the tax-exempt Roth because then I don't even want to kick the can down the road at all. But Roth IRAs claimed in the late 90s. Lot, many people didn't get into the, to the Roths really because of in, income limitations or lack of access because they didn't have the Roth available in their 401k. Then if you're, if you're listening, you're like, that's me. That's, he's talking about me right here. Then I'm going down. I'm going to be looking at the tax deferred account because it's better than the taxable account, right? So let's serve the two evils, so to speak, on that end. Now, the only way that I could put something like that into that taxable account, going into private investments that are expected for high growth, I'm, again, talking about venture capital, private equity, things of that nature, is if I'm doing some serious tax loss harvesting to offset some capital gains taxes down the road, right? It's really going to be dependent on what's going on within your overall investment approach and thesis. What Now, what about the private investments that are driving income? I, I, like, I, I do like those, the private debts, the private credits, real estate investments. I do like that in the taxable accounts. So circle back to what you were talking about earlier with real estate, but I like that income coming in to create passive income into the overall income strategy and the overall financial wellness of the plan, right? And, and, I, and when I say financial wellness, what I'm getting to is if I have a couple that is making, let's say, $100,000 a year, and uh, not, 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 I, I, let me change this. They're not making. They spend $100,000 a year. And they have $70,000 a year going towards essential expenses. And they have $30,000 going into discretionary. What I'm looking at first doing is getting passive income coming into the household to get up to $70,000. That will meet their essential expenses. So if there's ever a, a job change or something happens that's unexpected, like we have this income flow coming in to help them with their essential expenses. The second phase is then moving up to the, the discretionary. So getting $100,000 of income coming in from passive investments and strategies, that's not going to be done overnight. But what it is done is over time with a plan and a place, you get that money coming in. Something happens with work. You don't have that money coming in, but you still have that money going out. You have this other income source coming in that's going to cover your essential and discretionary. Now, we talk about retirement planning. It's really around financial independence. When you have 150% of your essential discretionary income coming in from reliable reoccurring income sources, and you're taking that extra 50% to do something nice with it, passing that on to another generation or to a charity or putting it to other future investments, then you're working because you want to work, not because you need to work, right? So that goes into your what is your retirement independence? What does that look like?
Oh, you could tell I get all geeked out on this, Andy, because this is important. It's not being discussed enough, and this is why we're doing a podcast here today. Well, you I know, think, so again, you've you've had so much good transition into this conversation because you know the the start of this podcast of this episode today was really about educating on the different vehicles of where you can take your investments and put it in there. Because too often you walk into an advisor, they're just going to allocate you across a bucket, and then at the end of the day, they're going to hope that in 10 or 15 years from now, maybe it works. Or to your point, what if you lose your job in the middle of the day and you've over-allocated to tax-deferred accounts because that's what traditional rule tells you. You know, I think it's so important. I think the highlight here, what's what you're saying, you know, within our Clear Picture Wealth Program, you know, which is our kind of the, the whole basis of what we run on, the two things we look at when we're making these decisions is we start with PPP, which we covered in a previous podcast. If you haven't checked it, download it. Um, the second one is then we start looking at your vehicles, which come into account what's your income plan, what's your income need, where's your tax bracket. We even go as far as reviewing your 1040 and your Schedule 1 with you on your tax return to determine which of these investments make sense and help you review that. So I think it's so important to look at this holistically as you're making those decisions so that it works to the best benefit for you net tax. So I got three questions for those that are watching and listening right now. When you spoke with your current advisor, how did they address this important topic? Second question is when you spoke with your accountant, how did they address this important topic? And third is when you sat down with your spouse to look over your asset location and the different investments that are going in, what did you identify and uncover? If you don't have good answers to those three questions, we want you to go to clearpitcherfinancial.com, check out other videos, Scroll down, enter in your information so you can schedule a, com a, a conversation with Andy or I, or maybe both, depending on what's going on, with one of our specialists. That was Andy, the man merchant. I love that nickname for you, Andy. It just rings like a bell. I'm Jason Noble. That was 20 Minutes of Clarity. Thank you for your time and have a great day.